Hey there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Cad, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I'm your forensic femme fatale, and Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios. Your listener discretion is advised. You have been warned, and before we get into today's crime chat, Kat. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to season two. Yay! Woohoo! Yes, we are kicking off the season with uh, our name crimes. We are going to start the season with victims who have the name of Natalie and Kathleen. Then we're going to end the season with the suspects of Natalie and Kathleen. And I can't wait. But we are just getting started. Yes, and in the month of October, we are re-releasing our Season 1 Crime and Cosmetics segment in honor of our Season 1 Eyeshadow Palette collaboration with Mad Love Cosmetics. Yes, yes, yes. And I have I have it on today. It looks amazing. You have, I could tell you have the Marilyn on. Oh, yeah. Um, you have the Marilyn, I have, right? I have the glitter. Yes, I have yes. The, the Marilyn and all of her fanciness and that gold dress that she had on when she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Yes, yes. I'm wearing uh, Marilyn Norma Jean, The Easter Massacre, and Aqua Tavana. That looks amazing. Post a picture of that. Crime chat palette. Uh, and it's not too late. You can still order your eyeshadow palette plus we're gonna have lips and lashes coming out we've got a lot more that we are collaborating with with mad love cosmetics but for now go to www.madlovecosmetics.com and use the promo code crime chat to save and you can get some other amazing products on the website as well with other collaborations check out the deals they have going on mm-hmm. other than this amazing news what's up girl um, what are you up to I am in uh, Florida. We are cleaning up, okay? Everything is going good. I'm alive, healthy. Uh, yay! yay. Po- post-traumatic Ian syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am ready for season two, <laughs> I tell you, okay? Um, but yeah, no, everything is going really well. I uh, just want to thank the uh, devoted firemen, policemen, uh, city workers that have basically every, have not, have not stopped putting this area of Florida back together. Yes. Thank you. Have you been able to like watch anything? I know you didn't have power for a while and you're kind of like, you know, disoriented a little bit. Well, yeah. So I have, uh, just watched the season finale of House of Dragon. I'm behind on that because I have my husband I'm in Virginia I'm on working on location and that's one of the shows that we watch together so uh I'm behind so shh no spoilers it's good I'm I'm not spoiling anything it's good cat yeah (laughs) it's right oh good now is it is it did it leave you feeling like there's going to be another season there is most certainly going to be another season. They confirmed it. Oh, good. Okay. But, like, like I know the story. I've read the the Fire and Ice and the Dance of Dragon books. Mm-hmm. So I know what comes next, but it's really nice because they really they didn't stick too much to the books. And it's okay. written so well and it's directed so well that 
I'll tell you what, it's giving Game of Thrones a run for its money. Oh, that says a lot. It's good. That says it's a lot. Good. Yeah. Other than that, uh, what else have I done? That's basically it, Kat. Okay. <laughs> that's basically well, it. Well, that's probably all you've had time for. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm caught up on The Walking Dead. So the season, the last episodes of season 11, you know, the last episodes mm-hmm. of the last season of this most amazing show ever. Right. Um, but I can't wait to see where they go in, like, the various different spinoffs. And the other thing I started watching, because you know me, I'm a binger, right? <laughs> um, the Walking Dead is something that I will take an episode at a time. So in between, mm-hmm. I started watching the new Interview with the Vampire Wait, the new one? I didn't know they had a new one. It's a TV show. It's on AMC. It's a series. And you know who the lead character is? Who? The guy who played Grey Wolf in um, Game of Thrones. The castrated guard. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Oh, uh, Grey Worm. Grey Worm. Yeah, not Grey Wolf. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Grey Worm. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, he's a good good, uh, actor. So so he plays... If you think, you know, Anne Rice's interview with Vampire the movie, right? Mm-hmm. It, there, there's a journalist and he's writing down the story. And as he's telling the story, they go back and kind of show. So it's kind of like the same thing a little bit. But he, so he's the primary vampire, essentially. Um, it's so good. It's very good. It's very, very, very good. But there's a lot that I, I, that's out there and, you know, to catch up on and to watch and everything. And I did spend a lot of time watching videos of my story I'm doing today so <laughs> do you want to go ahead and kick off season two with your uh victimed Natalie name crime my name is Natalie <laughs> and, I, and I'm a crime chat addict my story today is regarding the 19 year old Natalie Bollinger this murder is one of the strangest I've ever heard it is uh, a story of half truths madness and dubious characters mm. and one of the most bizarre motives for murder I have ever encountered cat that says a lot we talked a lot of murder yeah we have talked a lot of murder yeah we have we have i'm gonna go over the story there's so much information that i could load it up with but i kind of like kept it light because you know what it's just it kind of went all, all over yeah. the place again why because social media was involved oh, that's why oh, yeah. nightmare for a year natalie was harassed and stalked by a man who made her fearful for her life she slept with a loaded gun by her side oh. natalie marie bollinger 19 was reported missing on thursday december 28th 2017 here are some of the events that took place when she went missing okay. natalie bollinger messaged her her close friend tim to confirm their plans for the motorcycle ride they had that day. This was in Broomfield, Colorado, a town that sits between Denver and Boulder. Okay. Natalie recently enrolled into nursing school and she had plans to go out with her friend Tim. In a message, Tim wrote, let me know when you want to go. I'll pick you up. Natalie replied, okay. Mm -hmm. At 9.58 a.m., Natalie messaged him again and said that she needs to take care of a few things and that she'll be in touch. Okay. Four hours passed with no word from Natalie. Tim assumed that she had gotten caught up in something else. Mm-hmm. Tim message, guess I'll just wait for you to hit me up when you got time. A little snarky. He thought he was getting blown off, I guess. Tim sent one more message that day, this time to Joey Marino, Natalie's live-in boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Chillingly, the message read, has she been found yet? Oh, from Joey? From Tim to Joey, her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Has she been found yet? Now, I don't think this really had anything to do with her missing. I think he was just kind of saying, where is she? Like, yeah. you know, Natalie's boyfriend, Joey, 
called him earlier in the day around 3 p.m. asking if Natalie was with him. Tim said she wasn't. Mm. Joey was clearly concerned. He said that Natalie had left the house around lunchtime but hadn't taken her phone with her. What? She had, however, taken a 9mm gun with her. Mm-hmm. He hasn't heard from her since 3.30. That's a little unnerving. Like, mm-hmm. why would she take a, take your gun with her? Well, I mean, if she was sleeping with if she felt fearful for her life, but I definitely would have taken the phone because, you know, they can track your phone and kind of track your location and see where you are, especially if you feel like you're in danger. Yeah. I don't know if I would loan my gun out. Yeah, maybe. That would be on my mind too much. (laughs) Get your own. Get your own gun. Exactly. (laughs) Joey did notify the police later on that day. Nobody was able to get in contact with Natalie, which is horrifying Mm -hmm. if you think about it, if you're really concerned for somebody and she's just walking around with your gun. Wow. Unfortunately, all this came down to one man, Natalie had a stalker. 42-year-old Sean Swartz was a homeless man. She was 13 years old when she met him. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And she was 19. And she's 19 now. Okay. Just five days earlier from her going missing, Sean had been issued a restraining order, which he had already violated. Ooh threatening to hunt down and kill both Tim and her father. Natalie was also nervous and she posted on her social media an announcement to her Facebook page to inform all of her community and her friends. She states, Hey y'all, I have a public announcement. There is a man, Sean Swartz. I met him when I was young. I ran into him about two years ago. Long story short, I became friends with him. I helped him out, rides and stuff. I moved to Virginia. He drove across the country to see me, slept behind my work for weeks. When I told him I didn't want to see him anymore, he sent me hundreds of texts and calls. He parked in front of my house, blocking the military highway for hours, laying on his horn before he was arrested. Mm. Since then, I have asked him to leave me alone. He won't. He sends me emails every day, harassing me, making numerous accounts until I blocked him again, threatening my family, telling me he'd kill himself in front of me, and sending my friends and family harassing messages as well. I'm sharing this because he posted slander about me all over Facebook. So if you're receiving a message, I'm sincerely sorry. Please ignore him. It only encourages him when he gets a response. Much like a child, he is mentally ill and I'm trying to fix this. Oh, I know. Poor girl. Yeah. She also posted a screenshot when she posted this message of somebody mm-hmm. with the name Michelle Brodnick. The image is of a middle-aged, disheveled, bald man. Does not look like a Michelle. Okay. okay so assumingly this Sean Schwartz guy. Yeah. Sean Sean created dozens of fake profiles to connect with Natalie. He would go live on Facebook in response to Natalie's announcement. There are hundreds of videos of him over the past year praising and abusing her, calling her names. So he would be like, I love you, I love you. Oh, you stupid bitch, da 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 da, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he would always have this self-righteous attitude. I mean, probably very mentally ill. Mm -hmm. However, he was the first person to post about her missing. Well, probably because he did something looks like that. And he knows she's missing because she dead. Right. And to everybody, he was a stalker and he was unhinged. Of course. For Natalie's safety, this meant being away from Sean. Mm-hmm. Natalie's entire online community had turned their focus onto Sean. They urged police to investigate him and bombarded him with questions and accusations online on his on his multiple Facebook accounts. Why do I have a feeling you're going to throw a twist at me? Two. Oh. I got two. One for each sleeve. Going to hit mm. you left and I'm going to hit you right. <laughs> pop, pop. Facebook group was created for Natalie to help with the search. 
accusing Sean. A Facebook group was created to help the search for Natalie and also accused Sean, stating that he was a suspect and with the history of stalking her and with the recent restraining order, of course. This is where Tim Benson, Natalie's friend, Tim. Tim is the guy that w- they were gonna go on a motorcycle ride earlier. He was right, he was the right. guy with the gun. He posted a message he received from Natalie a couple of months before she went missing. Natalie wrote to him, if I ever go missing, he did it. Uh-uh. If I end up dead, tell the cops it was him. Yeah. On December 29th, the Adams Ca- County Sheriff's Office announced that the body of a young woman had been found by a wooded area near Natalie's mm-hmm. home. They would later confirm it was Natalie. She had died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Casings from a Glock 9mm were found at the crime scene, which was mm-hmm. Joey's gun. Mm-hmm. She also had a potential fatal dose of heroin in her system. Police were quick to name Sean as a person of interest. This started a media firestorm and Sean was the target of online threats and accusations. Mm. He would respond in his Facebook lives. You know how, how lovely those are sometimes time yes yeah so he would do these crazy incoherent rants posting i did not kill anybody but because she's cute you care if she was a junkie you would say she wanted needed or deserved it or it didn't happen to me she was a hero not because she was pretty because she was nice to me when everyone else abandoned me Mm, wow yeah wow desperate yeah desperate yeah so now sean the homeless guy he met natalie and her twin sister alicia when they were 13 years old but how did they meet each other like it just seems weird that you know yeah alicia stated that they had once considered him to be a good friend Mm -hmm. she stated that they met sean downtown in downtown boulder in an area known as the hangout spot for the homeless and for druggies the twins would go there to smoke weed or to sell drugs for their father. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's not good. Oh. Sean also posted an email from Natalie as proof of this on July 30th. Mm-hmm. In the email, she talks to her about her dysfunctional childhood. She wrote that her dad was violent and her mom had left when she was only three. She stated in the email that her dad did drugs and often had the twins sell for him. Mm-hmm. They were removed from the house and placed into foster care. The email was sent to Sean Sean during one of his jail stints. Okay. She was kind of venting to Sean. It also explains like why would a 13 year old girl have an older man as her friend, old, older right. homeless man as her friend. Right. Like how how would their paths cross? And I mean what I mean I was thinking like volunteering food bank or something. Right. That's possible too. Yeah. Yeah. So Natalie was diagnosed with severe depression when she was 18 and substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. According to Sean this was where they had become reacquainted again. She had become a great friend to him who would help him out, giving him rides and lifts and stuff like that. They would message each other on a regular basis and were like a support system for each other and Mm -hmm. would deal with their own mental health issues. Sean suffered from panic attacks and he had also been diagnosed with Asperger's. He stated that she told him that she was going to plan to kill herself, which is why he had been so persistent to reconnect with her. Now, he was attempting to stop her from his perspective from taking her own life he stated due to his Asperger's he didn't realize he was overstepping his boundaries and was less tactful which is believable okay okay Natalie's friends confirmed 
that Natalie did suffer from mental health issues, Mm -hmm. but their stories differed from the one that Sean was telling. Okay. Natalie's heart went out to Sean. She sympathized with his mental health challenges and his lack of support, but Sean had become obsessed with her. Mm -hmm. When she tried to create distance between them, he turned desperate and had taken drastic measures to win her back. When those had failed, he became vindictive, abusive, and frightening to everybody. He berated her on social media, attacked and threatened her family and friends. He bombarded her with messages and emails. He ranted about her on Facebook. Each time she blocked him, he created a new profile, used them to post horrible things and slander about her. That's horrifying. Persistent motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is horrifying. (sighs) People have a hard time letting go, and if there's mental illness involved, it's less, I want to say less understanding of why, you know, you should let it go, and yeah. Yeah. Mm. And and social media doesn't have a kill switch. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point in time, I probably would have gotten off social media myself. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope. The social media has become so big and, like, we've become so reliant on it and our, our friends and mm-hmm. all, just the connectivity of it. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, the, you're you're mm-hmm. 19 years old. I don't know how I would deal with that at my age. I mean, and even then, the most impactful part of your adolescence was surrounded by social media. So that's all you know. Right, yeah. It's not like when we were kids, I mean. Right, exactly. I know, when we were kids, thank God they didn't have social media. Luckily, we just had pagers, and that was about it. We just didn't get caught. Beep, 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 beep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a guilty conscience, okay? I told on myself. You did, you did. And you told on your brother. Yourself and your brother. I did. Sean drove across the country from from Colorado to Virginia to camp out behind her work for weeks. Blocked the street outside from her mother's house, and he laid on his horn until he was arrested. So. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, he did his he did his own doing, I guess. So now on September 10th, 2017, he posted, Natalie, oh God, this is going to be chilling for you. Eh. Okay. And this is with the restraining order. This is going to be chilly for you. Okay. He posted, Natalie. Oh, that sounds so weird that I'm saying my name. <laughs> Natalie, I wanted only the best for you. Now all I want is for you to go through hell like I have. Mm. I want to blow my head off in front of you so close that you can feel the warm splash of my blood on your face. Oh, God. I want you to feel every bit of pain because you gave it to me and you didn't care. What the fuck? That's sick. <laughs> I got nothing. Something, I get, yeah, you got nothing. There is nothing. I got there's nothing. Just, there's nothing. I'm yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got nothing. On December 13th, Natalie wrote to her friend Tim, he is 100 blocks plus away from me. That's literally three minutes from my house. I'm so scared. Mm. Tim responded, my phone is next to me. Now my gun is. Natalie said, mine is too. And there's one in the chamber I don't feel safe on December 16th she wrote to her friend Tim honestly I feel that Sean would tie me up in a basement and no one would ever hear me or see me again Mm. on December uh, 22nd Natalie filed another restraining order against Sean because the first one did not work obviously right right I guess because of the double of restraining order now he was facing eight years in prison if he violated it yeah sure well I mean that and then even like what he's been posting she obviously can show that and prove that to yeah. police to show the extreme behavior that he could potentially do. Yeah. yeah. But the messages and videos still came. Like it didn't matter. Did social media once again, okay, physically he can't go near you, but online yeah. he's going to come how, at you. But do restraining orders, they don't stop social media though, do they? They do. They do? Now they do, oh. yeah. That could be part of your restraining order now. Okay. But th- okay. That's 
not till quite and recently. It, and they cover your actual profile plus any other made up profiles causing the guys. How do you prove that? Well, that's true, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, people make fake accounts all the time. Like, actually, you know what? I meant to tell you this. I think somebody made a fake crime chat account. We need Ooh. to check that out. And I, I don't know. I, I saw it pop up, and I was like, mm, I need to look at that. And then I forgot to go back to it. So, girl, are we being copied? I think we're being copied. It's almost a form of flattery. <laughs> <laughs> It's a compliment. Okay, on December 23rd, he made a video entitled, I'm not asking you to love me anymore. I'm asking for your help to get me pills I need to kill myself. So, I mean, if she was selling drugs for her father before, Mm -hmm. maybe she sold him or provided him with something before too. Yes. Yeah. Here comes the first twist. Uh... On January 8th, Sean Swartz was officially cleared by police as a person of interest. He had been in a different state at the time of for disappearance. Okay. So, Sean may not be the murderer, but there is a clear mental health issue here. Yes. And it's also a mental health issue that has gone unchecked for yes. so long that Natalie was at this point his focus, and that sure. is one scary fucking place to be. Mm-hmm. So, who's the murderer? Who done it? Who done it? Who done did it? On the day her body was found, Natalie's father, Ted Bollinger, had taken to Facebook to announce the news. My daughter was found murdered. The next Next day, Ted posted a GoFundMe account to donate to help pay for Natalie's funeral. Over the next few days, six more GoFundMe accounts were created on his fundraiser page. One person openly attacked Ted, stating, terrible, it was set up so fast, her body isn't even cold yet. Ooh, did daddy kill her? <gasps> I'm gonna get that. So now Ted added more fuel to the fire, plugging his fundraiser in every social media interview that he did. Then the the news broke that Natalie's funeral, paid for already by the community, had been canceled. What? Ted stated that him and his estranged wife could not agree to the details, and this caused an uproar, of course. Of course, because people who donated to it are gonna, you know, if that's what the money's gonna be used for, and it's not, then yeah, of course. Right. People speculating that Bollinger's kept all the fundraising money for themselves, or was it a drug deal gone wrong? Like, people were just like, why is she dead? Like, mm-hmm. what was going on? She was already selling drugs for you at one point. People thought this because, obviously, Ted had a long list of criminal convictions to his name and several stints of jail time. Mm-hmm. Convictions were, like, child abuse, assault, drug dealing. Children taken away from him. Like, he obviously, yeah. you know, was... He was not a good guy. Yeah. He was not a good guy. But just when you thought it was all clear, cat. Here comes the second twist. Twist it, baby. The police stated there was now an official suspect, and it was not Natalie's father. Not the father. Not the father. Not Sean. It was somebody else. So Natalie would have a funeral, and it was beautiful, and it was held on January 13th, 2018. So rest in peace, sweetheart. Police stated that they were investigating Natalie's phone records. It's so funny how police work. It's like they're actually investigating when we're all assuming shit on on Facebook. And th- mm-hmm. and if you notice, like twice so far, twice Facebook has led people astray. Of course, you know why? 
because when people post things, they feel the power in the in the letters and in the texts, and they feel like they can put anything out, you know, and right. they can just say whatever they want because they're not getting confronted with it. Right. They wouldn't say that to somebody's face. No, you get smacked. That's just our society. Yeah, you get scratched. Cat scratched. So yeah, they were they were uh, literally holding an investigation, and they found out some good stuff. <laughs> So uh, days prior to her disappearance, they were checking her phone records out and they found that she had exchanges, actually 111 messages between one number on December 28th. One day, 111 messages. So the day that she was killed, right? One day, yeah. Well, we've got group chats too that like I log into sometimes and it's like missed 150 messages (laughs) and you're like, what the fuck did I miss? It's been an hour. (laughs) Give me the cliff notes because I'm not reading. I'm not reading (laughs) all that shit. I'm not scrolling up. I'm not scrolling up. (laughs) That number belonged to 22-year-old man Joseph Michael Lopez. Lopez lived in Thornton, Colorado and managed a Domino's. Nobody in Natalie's life ever heard of Lopez and it appeared to be the first time the two had interacted. Lopez cell phone data showed that he'd been in the area at the time of Natalie's disappearance. Now, things are about to get truly, truly bizarre. They already are. (laughs) He told police that he had met Natalie via Craigslist where she posted in the Men Seeking Women category the ad titled... I want to put a hit on myself. Oh. Out of curiosity, Lopez messaged back. He told Natalie that he had experience as a hitman and could help. Who the fuck does that? Just, I mean, I wouldn't even joke about doing that. No. That's just stupid. It is stupid. It is very stupid. That's like, that's called a digital trail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Natalie, by the way of explanation, told him that she was deeply unhappy and wanted to end her life, but didn't have the nerve to do it herself. Mm -hmm. On December 28th, Lopez had met with her at her apartment where they discussed payment and how she wanted to die. On her knees and shot from behind. That's what she said. Okay. She had her own firearm. Lopez says the pair then drove around scouting locations, were unable to decide on one. At that point, drove her home. And that was that. There was one problem, though. The cell phone history. Yeah. Lopez's data placed him in the exact location where Natalie's body was found. Lopez now offered a second account. He stated they found a spot, but it was Natalie who shot herself. But she did do it. Yeah, but she yeah. did it. She pulled yeah. the trigger. Yeah. Police at that point explained to Lopez this was impossible based on the trajectory of the bullet into Natalie's mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. For the third time, Lopez changed the story. He tried to convince Natalie out of it and stated that when he realized he couldn't do so, he closed his eyes and shot Natalie in the back of the head. So he was innocent and forced to kill her. I was forced to kill her. Right. Yeah. The whole Craigslist story is bizarre, but all the evidence placed Lopez at the scene of the crime. The gun he used to kill Natalie was still in his truck along with her purse. So the evidence was there. Mm -hmm. And police had a confession now. On February 8th, Lopez was arrested for the murder of Natalie Bollinger. He was later charged with first degree murder and sentenced to 48 years in prison. He escaped a life sentence by pleading guilty. Sure. Her family wanted life in prison and they were not happy with the plea deal. Mm -hmm. Ted, her father, stated, you took advantage of her. She was vulnerable and you premeditatedly shot and killed my baby. I asked for an eye for an eye. This is a deal for the devil. The ironic part, there's zero evidence of this Craigslist ad. Oh. They can't find it. 
Well, I mean, and honestly, it's he said, she said at this point, and she can't talk anymore. So it's whatever story he makes up. Yeah. So I don't know if those things disappear. I'm not sure. It de- it depends. I mean, Craigslist could have taken it down. And, and honestly, if I would have subpoenaed Craigslist. Yeah, I know. Um, for record and and all that but yeah uh, yeah there's a if there was there would have been a digital footprint at some point yeah which which just makes you think like there could have been a number of ways that he killed her there could have been a sure. number of reasons why he picked her um they got maybe they got high together if she had yeah you know what was heroin in her system yeah Mm-hmm. I mean, if she, they got high together and... Yeah, it's crazy. Pops one off, I guess. Poor Natalie had just spent a year trying to escape the unwanted attentions of a seriously ill man, only to die at the hands of a far sicker one. Mm-hmm. Sean Swartz still posts long, rambling videos about all the injustices in the world on his Facebook account. He denies ever stalking Natalie, but his Facebook account, and I did check this, is over flowing with videos of him talking about her pictures of her it's unnerving even to like to this day wow yeah well i guess if you're obsessed with somebody and you know they're no longer on this earth to harass the I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Rest in peace, Natalie. Yeah. Um, She was a beautiful girl. Oh, my God. I'll post pictures of her. She was absolutely beautiful, and she had a twin sister, Alicia. Mm-hmm. They were just, it's it's a shame. It's a real shame. It's a, that is a shame. That's horrible. And into, she had a rough, had a rough start mm-hmm. and throughout the life, yeah. So that's my story, Kat. Okay, so are you ready for my story? Yes. So my name crime victim is Kathleen Peterson. Have you heard of her? Yes. (gasps) Yes, you may have heard of the staircase murder or novelist Michael Peterson. Yes. December 9th, 2001, Michael and his wife, Kathleen, were watching a movie. He said they were drinking wine. They had dinner, left the dinner plates in the living room. They had they like to stay up at night and just kind of talk, have conversations, deep in-depth conversations, you know, a couple glasses of wine, and sometimes for hours. He said the movie ended about 11 o'clock p.m. and they went outside. It was a cool evening. Now we're in Durham, North Carolina. So in December in North Carolina, it's pretty cool at night. Not, not too bad. It depends. But he said this night was about 55, 60 degrees outside. So they sat outside by their pool. So Kathleen was smoking a cigarette. They were just outside kind of chilling, hanging out. After a while, Kathleen then went inside. Michael stayed outside. And he said the last time he saw her is when she walked up a path to go into the house. When Michael eventually went inside, here's what he found. Um, Have you ever heard it? Oh, yeah. I, I, got, I got obsessed with this case. <laughs> obsessed. How many stairs are there? What? Huh? What? I don't know. Sir, how many stairs? The back stairs. <laughs> how many stairs? I don't know. 15 or 20? Hurry. I listened to it a few times. 
So when Michael's son, Todd Peterson, arrived, he assumed that his father had a heart attack or something happened to his father because he was actually about 10 years older than Kathleen. Then he heard his father mutter once they, he got to the house, oh God, Kathleen, and then motioned in the direction of the staircase. Kathleen's autopsy disclosed she sustained several injuries to include lacerations to the top and the back of her head consistent with blunt force trauma and that she had died from blood loss somewhere between an hour and a half up to two hours after the injuries. Now that's somebody laying there for a hot minute. Yeah. Now Michael never said he fell asleep outside. Like if this would have happened and by the time he had called, it was it was just crazy, right? The medical examiner concluded that Kathleen died of lacerations to the scalp caused by homicidal assault. She did have alcohol in her system as well as a Valium. And famous forensic expert Henry Lee. Do you know who that is? I don't. You, if you if you saw him, like you would be like, oh yeah, that guy. Okay. So he was actually hired by Michael's defense attorney, and who said the blood spatter was consistent with an accidental fall down the stairs, right? So we've got homicidal assault accidental fall. Mm. This is the basis of the whole case. In the Staircase documentary on Netflix, it's called The Staircase, Michael said that he could remember finding Kathleen, opening the door, calling 911, and he particularly remembered Todd holding him tightly to help contain him, like console him. Mm -hmm. He also recalled police were with him everywhere that he went, and he said that they were on him like instantly as soon as they got there, which for the integrity of a crime scene, you absolutely have to do that. Potential crime scene, right? Police restricted him from talking to people from talking to one another which is understandable again not just uh, for the integrity of the crime scene but also to rule out any foul play because you get a people a chance to talk to each other right. they're gonna come up and like get their story straight right, right? Mm -hmm. i mean eventually it, it comes the truth comes out every, anyways because people can't keep their stories straight up anyway I know. They, they usually Aww. fuck it up so mm -hmm. <laughs> So during the investigation, if you recall, police dove deep into Michael's personal life. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah. This included another similar manner of death and bisexuality. Now, Michael Peterson and his first wife, Patty, lived in Germany for some time, and they made friends with George and Elizabeth Ratliff. In 1983, George, who was a military officer, died during an operation in Granada, mm -hmm. and it was then where the Peterson family and the Ratliff families kind of became very close. So George and Elizabeth had two daughters, Martha and Margaret, mm -hmm. and at this time, it was Todd and Clayton, I believe. Yeah. So close to that, they became very close. And if Elizabeth were to pass away, that she wanted Michael and Patty Peterson to raise her two children, Martha and Margaret. Mm -hmm. Ironically, hmm, two years later, Elizabeth Ratliff died under similar circumstances as Kathleen when her body was found at the bottom of a staircase in 1985. Yeah. Her body, <laughs> her body was found by the nanny, Barbara, mm -hmm. the following morning. So... Poor Elizabeth had been there uh, apparently overnight. Now, the evening of Elizabeth's death, Michael Peterson was the last person to be with her, was the last person to see her alive. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forwarding to 2001, during this investigation, prosecution found out about similar circumstances surrounding Elizabeth's death, and they uh, ordered her body to be exhumed from where she was buried in Texas. They transported her body to North Carolina, wherein an autopsy was performed, the same medical examiner that performed Kathleen's autopsy. The medical examiner stated, quote, the inflicted trauma is clearly from homicidal assault, end quote. Those same terms, uh -huh. homicidal assault, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what was funny about this, too, is that the judge unsealed all of the medical examiner reports. 
And if you remember, this was like in the news, like as every, as the investigation was going, it was very, it's very rare that so much is revealed to the public because it can cause issues with the actual investigation and can kind of contaminate the investigation. Yeah. Especially when it comes to having jury selection on a highly publicized case, you need unbiased people who don't know what's going on. Right, right. And, and it, and it. A town like Durham, North Carolina, you know? Yeah. So the prosecution, however, did not actually charge Michael, even with the findings of Elizabeth's autopsy. Uh, they did not charge her with, charge Michael with the murder of Elizabeth Ratliff, only that they wanted to introduce it into trial as an MO or modus operandi, right? Mm-hmm. How someone kills people. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your motive? MO? Yeah, what's your MO, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What's your modus operandi? Mm-hmm. Operating motive. Modus operandi. I never knew that's what it meant. Yeah, it's Latin. Modus operandi. Why is it all Latin? Modus operandi. Why everything's Latin? Why that Latin because and Greek? Every, that's where everything originated from. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's where the world originated The world? From. Okay. <laughs> but basically how showing Michael's MO, mm-hmm. this is not once, but twice, right? Twice is funny. Like, or, you know, maybe starts to be a little bit of a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. No. That's just me. Me too. But in this incident... Of course, making it look like an accident both times. Uh. Also during the investigation, a forensic examination of Michael's personal computer showed sexual communications, videos, and pictures of homosexual tendencies. Uh Michael himself admitted he had an affair with men and women while he was married to Patty, and then only with men while he was married to Kathleen. He said he thought Kathleen was aware of his bisexual tendencies, but actually stated, he never actually stated he said, I told Kathleen. He just assumed that she knew. Mm -hmm. Uh You remember, like, prosecution was kind of using this potentially as a motive. Like, they had a fight. She found out about it. There was an argument. They had a fight over it. Maybe, maybe not. There's only two people that know it actually happened, and one of them's alive. Right. <laughs> exactly. Dead men tell no tales. But they were saying Micah would lose his temper, which some people said in during the investigation that he did have a temper. Mm. Um, they would argue, and bam, she's assaulted and falls or is pushed down the set of stairs. Right. Now, it's possible that they had they had some sort of altercation, and she fell. And then he's sitting there for an hour and a half to two hours trying to figure out, what the fuck do I do? Right. Okay. Let's make it look like an accident. Yeah. But tying that to Elizabeth Radliff's, I don't know. So he made a comment um, to his son, Clayton, during this documentary and said, quote, a great deal of selfishness and ego goes away with age. You watch yourself get old and ugly and fat and stupid. Your ego declines as it should anyway. And I'm like, somebody with an ego would only say your ego goes away when you get old. Yeah, and you notice that his the ego was the last thing he mentioned. Of course. He's focused on being ugly, fat, and stupid. Well, you know what? But wait, it, there's more. So come on. Oh, God, there's more? No. But wait, there's more. So in this conversation, Clayton was talking to Michael and asking him how he's doing because this was as the actual trial was going on. Mm. And he said he wasn't going to worry about what happened because what's going to happen is going to happen. And he said, quote, like dying. Well, don't worry about it because you're going to die. I mean, the whole, the whole, if you're up for, if you are on trial for murdering your wife, and I'm not going to worry about it, people die. Can I ask you a question? A technical question? I'll try to give a technical answer. (laughs) The human body. Does your hair still grow after you die? I think it does for a while, yeah. Your hair and your nails. So his Mm -hmm. fucking eyebrows are going to take over the goddamn (laughs) cemetery. (laughs) Okay, 
Well, okay. So there was one point in time too when they were actually like prepping him for trial and they were practicing and everything. Yeah. His defense attorney told him, make sure your eyebrows are trimmed. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know what to say about his eyebrows. They they make him look guilty and stupid. <laughs> His ego should have should have notified him, like, trim your fucking eyebrows, bro. Like, you look cray-cray. <laughs> well, I mean, in that whole comment and everything, just throughout the whole documentary, to me, mm. he just had very odd remarks. Yeah. Like, very odd behavior. And I'm not bad-mouthing him, but what I am doing is I'm analyzing his behaviors. Yeah. And his behaviors screamed something other than innocence to me. <laughs> I agree. And this I is agree. all caught on camera the entire, as the entire thing was unfolding, right? right? Him and his fucking eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he had been caught in many lies before yeah. this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but says he's an honest person. He said in the in the documentary, I'm an honest person. But, for instance, mm-hmm. you wrote a book mm-hmm. saying you received a silver star, bronze star with valor, two purple hearts, which all were lies. Right. And me, I'm fucking insulted by yeah. that. Yeah. That was his thing as a writer was that he was speaking from personal experience. Mm -hmm. He did serve, but he didn't get injured because basically he said when he was in Vietnam, he was injured by shrapnel. Right. And uh, after another soldier stepped on a landmine and that he was also shot. That He was in a car accident in Japan, which is where he got his injuries from. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's an insult to myself and my people that I know who have died actually on the battlefield, actually fighting for this country. You motherfucker. Yeah, okay. he's writing this dialogue in his head. He's a great story writer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, storyteller, great. Um, so he ran for mayor in 1999 in Durham, North Carolina, which during the political campaign, all of this came out. Mm. Like, you wrote this book, every you know, get bestseller or whatever, you know, but now all of a sudden all the truth comes out. Yeah. And there's no records of him at all in which he referred to. And his eyebrows were like, what? It wasn't me! (laughs) (laughs) Now, while it is impossible to not talk about Michael Peterson in this case, Mm. I do not want to harbor on him. There's enough fucking information out there about him. Go look for yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't want... And you can draw whatever conclusions, chatters, that you want to draw. However, I do want to talk a bit more about Kathleen. Who was she? Well, she was an American businesswoman, philanthropist, engineer, media face, and entrepreneur. Born February 21st, 1953 in Greensboro, North Carolina. She spent much of her school years actually in Pennsylvania in the 60s. She was president of the debate club in high school, editor of the school magazine, and selected as the first high school student allowed to take Latin classes at Franklin and Marshall College. Wow. She graduated number one out of 473 in her high school. Wow. Smart cookie. Yeah. Smart cookie. She was also the first woman to be accepted to Duke University's engineering school in 1971. Wow. I didn't know that. Okay. She earned a bachelor's in civil engineering and then a master's degree in mechanical engineering, which engineering school is not easy. My son is a, has a degree in electrical engineering and I'm like, he, he, uh, what yeah like this is insane your brain is operating on a whole other level yes she was exceptional not only in her education but also in her career she received award certificates for her leadership skills and her successes she would travel to russia ukraine vietnam malaysia and various places throughout europe hong kong canada kathleen's net worth at the time of her death was about 850 to nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. bam 
Bum, bum, bum. The golden goose. Did it for the money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kathleen's first husband, his name was Fred Atwater. They got married in 1977, and they had a daughter, Caitlin. In 1985, Fred and Kathleen divorced, and then she started dating Michael shortly after, and they dated for about 10 years, and they got married in 1997. Kathleen's mother, Veronica Hunt, said that Kathleen was, quote, so capable. She died so young with so many promising times ahead and I still can't believe it, yeah. end quote. Yeah. And it breaks your heart. Mm. Kathleen was also a very prominent citizen in Durham, North Carolina. She served on the board of Durham's Art Council, opened her home up to help the American Dance Festival and the Carolina Ballet. She gave willingly of her time and creative talents in cooking, decorating, and entertaining her neighbors and community. Now, from her funeral notice, it said that Kathleen's greatest accomplishments were her family. She helped raise Michael's two sons, Todd and Clayton, as I mentioned, Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin Atwater, and then also the two adopted children of Elizabeth Radliff, Martha, and Margaret. So a family of five. Amazing yes, woman. Yes, absolutely. Now, October 10, 2003, Michael was convicted of killing his wife, Kathleen, and received life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. Denial of parole requires premeditation despite the spur of the moment crime which the jury agreed to that it was a very spur of the moment crime they did find that he still premeditated it basically saying premeditation can be anywhere from months to moments before the actual execution of a crime. Mm -hmm. Michael was sent to Nash Correctional Facility in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and of course appealed his conviction, which was initially rejected by the Court of Appeals. Michael then appealed the North Carolina Supreme Court, who ultimately heard the argument, but did order that it, unless it went to federal court, Michael has exhausted all of his appeals. Now fast forward a little bit to 2008, Michael's defense team filed a motion for a new trial based on three circumstances. One, the prosecution withheld exculpatory evidence about a blowpoke. Basically, the blowpoke that they were saying that would have been part of the lacerations to the head. Mm -hmm. And in the documentary, uh, I don't know if it was Margaret or um, Martha, but they were talking about she was going through the very different family footages mm -hmm. and seeing if there was even a fire, like a fire um, blowpoke even at the house. And she's like, I never remember even having one there. Right. But didn't they prove that it was like a family gift or it was like a gift that was given at one one year? Like everybody, at one everybody point. got a blowpoke. Like what the? Yeah. Cat, I'm going to give you a blowpoke next Christmas. <laughs> a blowpoke. <laughs> Um, okay, so that was the first circumstance. Um, the second circumstance was the prosecution used an expert witness whose qualifications were disputed. Yeah. And I'll talk about him in a second. Uh, and then the third one was one juror based his judgment on racial factors. So all three were actually denied in 2009 by the Durham County Superior Court. Then comes the owl theory. Do you remember the owl theory? I think we talked about it before. We have talked about this before. Yeah. And we actually, during the Mothman uh, episode. Yes, yes. Okay, so in late 2009, a new theory emerged that Kathleen was attacked by a barred owl outside and was fall had fallen after rushing inside, knocked unconscious after hitting her head on the first tread of the stairs, and then blah, 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 fall all the way down the stairs. Mm. And this theory came about from a neighbor who was a lawyer, completely unrelated to the case, and made this theory that an owl may have been responsible. He approached this thought to police, and subsequently the evidence listed from the crime scene did include finding a feather. 
The North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations, or SBI, concluded a microscopic owl feather and a wood sliver from a tree limb were entangled in a clump of hair pulled out from Kathleen's roots that was found clutched in her left hand. Hmm. Hmm. The medical examiner rebutted the claim and said it was unlikely an owl or any other bird would have made the wounds, the lacerations, you know, to the head and to the back of the, of the skull, uh, as deep as the ones that were found in her scalp. Yeah. In her claim... Was, was rebuted by three separate affidavits filed in 2010. Part of these claims include the feathers, but also that the SBI lead analyst, the second uh, circumstance that the defense uh, warranted a new trial, was the primary witness against Michael. He, uh, he was a blood spatter analyst mm-hmm. at the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigations, mm-hmm. and was fired uh-huh. for falsely representing evidence in 34 cases to include withholding negative results of an excul- exculpatory evidence against Michael. This included the blood sting analysis in the Peterson case, and due to this, the judge ordered a new trial stating the SBI analyst, quote-unquote, deliberately provided false testimony and exaggerated his experience and his qualifications, which is a huge no-no because new trials happen. Yeah. Like, if you... You know, if it gets fucked up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't lie on the stand, bruh. No. Bruh. 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 Dude. Like, seriously. <laughs> okay. So, on December 16th, 2011, uh, about 10 years after Kathleen was killed, Michael was released from Durham County Jail on $300,000 bail and placed on house arrest as a new trial was being, re- you know, the, the, they started from scratch, mm-hmm. essentially. By July 2014, his bond restrictions eventually were lifted, and by October of 2014, the court appointed Michael a new attorney. A new trial was set for May of 2017, but in February, before it went to trial, the defense and prosecution came to an agreement. On February 24th, Michael entered an Alford plea and was credited with time served. Mm. You know what the Alford plea is? No. Well, once you hear the Alford plea after today, you're going to remember what it is. Uh. It's when the accused pleads guilty because there's enough evidence for them to be convicted, but they assert that they are completely innocent. I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael was convicted of voluntary manslaughter for killing Kathleen. He was sentenced to the maximum 86 86 months confinement, but because he had spent so long in prison, judge said, boom, bada boom, bada boom, time served. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael is 78 years old. He lives alone in a ground floor apartment in Durham, North Carolina, and has since sold the house that he shared with Kathleen. Mm -hmm. He maintains a relationship with his children, with the exception of Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin Atwater, because she, once she found out about this in his original trial, She was like, you murdered my mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I don't blame her. Neither do I. You know how much his net worth is right now? How much? Barely worth what he sold his house for. $150,000. Aw, poor baby. Sorry. Do you think, Chatters, Natalie, yeah. do you think they would have released that documentary in the same way, edits and all, if Michael had not won his appeal for a new trial? So the staircase was filmed a while ago, and they actually have a 10-year oh, yeah. stint between edits. They do. I think it, they would have stayed true to their the documentary because initially when they were were recording, they didn't know what the hell was unfo- unfolding at that time. Well, no, but I also, I don't know, I think the editing, because even though you have certain edits or whatever, I think once it would have been back to court, he yeah. was, you know, he pled, but time served. 
I, I don't know. I think. So are you saying I, that Netflix may have edited to sensationalize, like making him look bad? I think he made himself look bad. He did. Yeah. And <laughs> the whole time, which I don't mind at all because he just, he, the whole time I'm getting like these like nasty. Eyebrow picks in your head. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting bad vibes from him. Like uh, the whole time I'm watching him and, and looking at him going, <laughs> yeah, we all die anyway. <laughs> Whatever will be, will be. The man is a fucking joke. Yeah. So his, the DA that uh, prosecuted him the first time around when he was convicted, mm-hmm. Frida Black. Mm. The female. The female. Tight, but, tight ponytail. With the black hair, right? Yeah, we've spoken about tight ponytails before. <laughs> yes, we they have. never end well. <laughs> But it was a guy, the guy, um, it was a man, uh, I can't remember his name, that was the primary prosecutor. He was the DA. Yeah, he was the district attorney. The younger guy. Frida Black, that was her claim to fame. When she got on, because she had that moment in trial where she was the one that zeroed in on his homosexuality. Mm-hmm. She was the one that kind of said, yes. you're homosexual, okay. therefore you're guilty. She was so barbaric in the way she did yeah. that and was so horrible yeah. because look Michael Peterson he's he's a he's a joke we all know that but your line of questioning is also a joke at this point yeah. but it really connected with the jury like people liked her right after the Michael Peterson case she was up for the to be the next DA and mm-hmm. she ended up losing because of what she did at the Michael Peterson case <laughs> and now today you know where she is where? She worked. Florida. She works at a laundromat in Carolina. <laughs> she she lost her job, lost her license to practice law. She ended up getting a DUI. Yeah. She ended up doing like just her life just unfolded, and now she actually works at a laundromat. She doesn't own it. She works there. Yeah. Well, I know. <laughs> His eyebrows are guilty. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, in, in hearing him in the documentary talk about his homosexuality, he normalized it. Not that it's not, because pe- pe- people have their preferences yeah. and, you know, not one to judge or anything like that. But it was almost like because he was a man in the military, surrounded by other men, that it's what they did. I know, I know. <laughs> and, I mean, granted, I'm not a man. Right. I've checked. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, You're I feline. <laughs> And then, you know, not my, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that at all. And not that there's not, you know, that doesn't happen. Obviously, it's, it's now legal. Then it wasn't legal in the military. But now legal, obviously, you can be homosexual and serve. And it's fine. And I have nothing against it whatsoever. Right. But the fact that he was using that, like, well, that's just... That's just what we did. I don't know. It was weird. It was a it was a weird thing. He couldn't admit I'm bisexual. Yeah, yeah. Stop blaming. Uh, blaming. That's what I'm. I yeah. guess that's what I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm more so like he was trying to blame his situation of being in the military as to why he was gay. Gay. No. W- no. That's. I guess that's more so what I'm saying than yeah. than the fact that. I mean, it's it, whatever sexual preferences are fine. Like, if that's it, bisexual, you know, homosexual, heterosexual, or, or... Doesn't mean you're a murderer. Exactly. Prosecutor also used that. I mean, I could see the fact that Ka- if Kathleen didn't know mm-hmm. and then found out how that could cause Absolutely. friction. Yeah. You know, I could totally see that because if she didn't know and then he's out there, you know, hooking up with men on, uh, meeting him online and, right. you know, going out and having these sexual flings. And he even said, oh, she knew about it and she was glad it was a man and not another woman. Um, I don't know how, I don't know about that. No. I mean, it, it, 
I don't know. Staircase, it, it kind of like turned you off to also his daughters because I it's almost like they inherited his level of disconnect to the death of the mother. Like their birth mother. Their birth mother. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. These are his adopted daughters. Yeah. Margaret and Martha. He never had any daughters. He never had any biological daughters. Right. He had a stepdaughter, Caitlin. Right. And then the adopted daughters, Martha and Margaret, were Elizabeth's children. Elizabeth and George's children. Right. Those are the He two. only had two. He had two sons, Todd and Clayton. So Todd and Clayton speak to him, and Kathleen's daughter Martha. will not. Mm-mm. And the other daughters are just insanely. Because one was a baby and the other one was a toddler essentially the younger one had to have been at least two because it was two years from the time george died right in war and in actual war yeah um until the time elizabeth was killed so she had to have been at least two and you know the older one was three or four so i mean you've got two toddlers they don't remember, definitely don't remember their father. Right. Barely, you know, the older one may remember the mother. So there's not like, you know what I mean? There's like not a whole lot yeah. that they have to go off of. So that so mom and dad to them were yeah. Kathleen and Michael. Right. Which is understandable. I think, and I think at the time Kathleen died, the younger one was 19. They were under the spell of the eyebrows. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think he did it? Yes. Me too. Yes, absolutely. His behaviors are not normal of somebody who, discovered his wife right and also when investigators got there all the the dread the blood was all dry and that crime scene is horrific oh yeah even Mm -hmm. if the owl would have chased her inside Mm -hmm. i mean there wouldn't have been that much blood no at all that is a direct hit multiple times owl's gonna gonna try to grab you maybe twice and they're not gonna do that even if the owl followed him followed her inside no no Mm-mm. what did it, what did it do go inside and then go outside and they did they were doing the sound test too to see if screaming from the bottom of the stairs because they were saying it would take an hour and a half to two hours for her to bleed out if he would have heard it outside and he couldn't say how long he stayed outside after kathleen went inside how is he out of jail like how has this happen he's guilty my personal opinion now my sister used to live in durham mm-hmm. she knows him <gasps> and we had had a brief conversation a while ago a long time ago about it and she asked me i don't think she she knows like i don't think she has an opinion one way or the other she asked me what i thought and i was like oh he totally did it and she's like you think so and i was like yeah really mm-hmm. what'd she say about his eyebrows <laughs> she didn't say anything about his eyebrows <laughs> you should ask her again <laughs> I know. I am going to tell her to make sure she listens in. Good. Well, that was good. Thank you. I love that story. Welcome to your <laughs> season two premiere, Name Crimes. Woohoo! And because we don't want to leave you hanging, Chatters, for more information on this case, on these two cases, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on our Patreon. Subscribe to our Patreon for as little as a buck a month. I mean, seriously. We have some amazing supporters out there. We do. And they get some extra free shit from us. <laughs> we spoil our chatters. And if you sign up, you also have a chance to get a Crime and Cosmetics palette. That's Woo-hoo. right. This is also going to include bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and merch. And we just released two videos, short videos of our bloopers. Yes. And pretty freaking <laughs> funny. crazy. Pretty funny. Don't forget to follow us, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter to see what we have coming up. And the next episode where we are going to dive into the conspiracy 
conspiracy of JFK assassination. What? Did Lee Harvey Oswald work alone? Did he? On the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you next time, chatters, at the next Crime Chat. Bye. Bye.